have a terrific guest with me this morning. I've known him for a long time. He's uh, he's a fellow cop, and then he went on to uh, he's doing amazing work helping save police officers' lives. Ed Hinchy, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you. So, Ed, tell people what you do for a living. You have this amazing title that sounds really impressive, and I want them to get the exact title of what you do and who you do it for. All right. I am the Senior Armor Technical Specialist with Safariland, and I am the Director of the SAVES program. Try and fit that on a business card. <laughs> exactly. So the SAVES program, we, we have been... Uh, it, you know, we have been watching you since the beginning of this, and it's it's such a uh, uh, it's an amazing program, and the stories that you can tell. Um, just oh. I can't even ask. You know, I'm going to ask you to tell a few, but when I listen, absolutely, to you, oh, it just just they break my heart and they make me feel so good about what it is you do. So let's talk about when we say armor, we mean body armor, and that right. people call it. You know, we sometimes even we say it, you know, bulletproof vest. Talk about what <laughs> body armor is and how it's not truly bulletproof. But in fact, right. start by talking about the evolution of body armor. I remember my first uh, piece of body armor. It weighed about half of what I did at the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was basically uh, two squares on the front with some elastic on the sides. And it was like a horse blanket. I, I get you. Uh, I remember those. Uh, happy to have them. But boy, we've come a long way. Um, yeah, body armor is technically bullet resistant. Uh, there is no such thing as bulletproof, even though there's things like the bulletproof vest partnership and that kind of thing out there. Um, it is just bullet resistant. Um, we've always been chasing ammunition since day one. There's always been something that can, can find its way through armor. Um, and, and I think it'll always be that way. Um, because that sets the line for the engineers to work their way towards you know, the speeds and the, the composition of the rounds themselves are the challenge for the engineers. Now, before you did this, you were you were a police officer, right? Talk a little bit about your career. Oh, yes. Yeah, I had a great 24-year career. I loved it. Uh, I finished out as a sergeant in Forest Hills, Pennsylvania, just outside of Pittsburgh. Not the way I chose to exit the career. I, I actually became a save on my last day at work. Um, and uh, if it hadn't been for the body armor, I wouldn't be here. Uh, simple as that. And uh, I took two rounds to the chest. I took one through the hip and uh, my armor did exactly what it was supposed to do and, and kept me alive. And uh, that's when Safariland welcomed me into the saves club. And when it turned out I couldn't go back to work, they gave me a job. I love that. And you- yeah, tough interview but... process, but you know, that's right. what happened. Right. What, uh, what number save were you? I'm saved 941. Now talk about the significance of that, because I have, I have met some of your saves, um, who they have it tattooed on them. They have, oh, oh yeah, oh it's gosh. a big day. Just the, what save you are is, um, is incredibly meaningful. Will you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Uh, I, I truly have the best job in the company. And, and I've told the founder that I've told the current president that uh, I'm lucky enough to receive the phone calls from the agencies shortly after the critical incident takes place. And they reach out to us, A, to thank us, and B, to get new armor out to their officers so they can return to duty. And uh, I expedite all that. 
but I get to hear that story firsthand. And, and often I've got, you know, a personality, top notch hierarchy and agencies that break down in tears, talking about being in the hospital with their hero officers, um, you know, welcoming the families in there to see their loved ones. And it's, it's a whole different thing to know that they're going to come home from the hospital okay than to have to take them down to Washington, D.C. in May and see a name engraved on that wall in Judiciary Square. And um, that's the truly what we do. You know, our Safariland logo is together we save lives. And this is what brings the whole thing together. It is our supply partners that give us the materials that our engineers put into the body armor uh, that perform exactly like it's supposed to each and every time. It's our folks on the plant floor that stitch them together and know what they're sending out the door and who they're sending it to. Um, it's the agency selection process that brings in officers that'll do exactly the right thing during those critical incidents that train them to have the tools to survive and get the job done. And then also once they're home, I get to reach out and work with them there to see where their head's at, see if there's anything they might need that we can help with. Um, I've often flown in and worked with them in person. Uh, my company backs that 100%. They, they love us doing that. We present them in, into the saves program with what we call a saves kit, uh, including a challenge coin, coin uh, polo shirts with their name and their save number. And it's usually shortly after those presentations, we see the pictures of the tattoos coming back. Um, you know, they're, they're really proud of that moment, that number that they've earned. Uh, it symbolizes that everything they worked hard for did the job and brought them home. Ed, when you talk about those saves, when that officer, you know, takes that round or is in that crash and they are uh, physically saved, that's not, that's not the end, right? That's actually the beginning of this whole saves process, isn't it? That's true. Um, you know, I will tell you, you know, as a save and having worked with over a thousand saves, um, you know, it can happen, but the reality of it happening is, is different. Um, you've prepared for it mentally. Uh, you've gone to training. You've gone to some aftermarket training, you know, good mindsets training. Um, you know, I, I can talk about the training I received from certain people uh, that got me my, my combat breathing, that got me through my incident. I fought through all of that and it kicked in. Um, you know, you, you respond to the level of your training and uh, nobody really kind of drills in what happens when you get home. What happens when your nine-year-old child asks you, daddy, did you have to kill somebody? And, you know, those are tough things to walk through. Um, you know, your wife comes home from work and she's being treated differently. Um, all that stuff needs addressed. But most importantly, most of our saves are going to put the uniform back on and go right back to the front lines because they're heroes. And, um, you know, the ones that don't almost always find a way into the support groups. Um, where they're, they become dispatchers, trainers, uh, folks like me, um, they, they go out and work with the body armor groups. So it's not just um, bullets that body armor is able to slow down or stop, right? Some of your saves have been involved in other instances. Um, let's talk about that. How many uh, saves do you have that uh, a, uh, an edged weapon has been stopped? Right. It's... Um, Edge weapon is the number two grouping in saves. It's still much less than ballistic saves, uh, but they're out there. We get two to three a year 
uh, domestically, but we get another four or five internationally. Um, our international armor is actually designed as a, a hybrid, which is both ballistic and spike and stab rated armor, because often their threats are the edged weapons. Um, so that's one of the things we have to address on the international grouping. Um, here in the United States, uh, we do get two to three good edge weapon saves, and these are guys that are up against box cutters or bowie knives. Um, it can be, you know, any type of edge weapon that, you know, it can be a, a tool from a utility bench, um, often a kitchen knife, um, anything that's close to hand in a household. And then the, uh, the third category of saves are major crashes. Um, we'll get that officer driving down the highway and the DUI crosses the center line and takes them head on. Um, they'll, they'll airbag will deploy, they'll spin off that initial hit, but then they're going to crash into a tree or a telephone pole. The airbags are no longer there. Their chest takes the impact on the steering wheel, uh, or often have to cut out of the cars, everything else. And the doctors treat them for the broken bones on their extremities. They're always amazed that their torso is intact. And the credit is always to the body armor at that point. So to become a save from a, a crash, we actually do need a letter from the hospital from the doctors that treated him stating it was the armor that reduced the serious bodily injury or, or chance at death. Now, when we talk about um, armor, you know, we call it body armor, but it's not just on an officer's body, right? There's so many other uses for it. Oh, yeah. How else right. do you guys employ uh, that technology to help save cops lives? Sure, that moves into the hard armor category where we're using shields, uh, the helmets, and of course the plates, which are still worn, but they're on the outside. Um, we, uh, we up armor vehicles, uh, we up armor structures. Uh, all that is within you know, what we do at Safariland. Um, I'm sure that civilians won't even realize that they've walked through buildings where the actual booth where those guards are is bullet resistant. It's a bullet resistant structure and it can actually be closed on with its own air and everything else so that, you know, if something is launched from the outside, uh, you know, something that's, you know, effective like a gas type thing, they're good for 24 hours inside that booth. Wow. That's so it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And we do the cars, we'll up armor the doors. Um, you know, there are certain windows we'll up armor. Uh, you'll see those more in Bearcats, those type of things. Um, but again, the, uh, you start to run into a challenge with weight and cost when you start to do vehicles, when you start to do uh, more than just standard body armor. Well, and I want to talk about that because I get, I get asked a lot by um, civilians, by the media, why isn't every police car in the country um, absolutely bulletproof? Why, why yeah. not? Yeah, it would be wonderful to do that. The cost is extraordinary to make a vehicle bulletproof and blastproof. Um, it also adds to the reduced gas mileage. So the cost of the vehicle's maintenance goes through the roof. Uh, to access something as simple as the window mechanism, if something happens to it, it's not just a, a tech pulling a panel off the door and, and fixing a part. Uh, it's got to go back to the factory. So a lot of challenges to bulletproof a vehicle. And on that, you know, when we talk about funding, you know, police departments are, in fact, that's a huge issue right now. There's lots of Good. talk about defunding the police. And, and uh, um, a big part of that 
is equipment, right? Even just the personal body right. armor that a police officer wears, um, it's not it's not cheap, is it? And, and, and why is it why isn't it cheap? Because a lot of engineering goes into that. Is that correct? Absolutely. And um, the life of body armor standard uh, is five years. Uh, body armor is mostly a woven type material. Uh, it is uh, influenced by how it's cared for. Uh, so you have to take the hardest charging officers, say your canine officers, your guys on SWAT, um, your patrol officers that are out on the foot that are getting soaked with rain, frozen in the snow, sweating into it in the heat. Um, and again, it's moving back and forth. It's only got a, a limited lifespan. Uh, there's a degradation curve that's in body armor that's recognized. And we have to build to that because armor is tested by the NIJ, what they call condition testing. Uh, so they take new panels and they put them in industrial tumblers. They tumble them for literally 10 solid days uh, at 149 degrees with induced humidity. And, and it's a torture test. Then they take them out and they shoot them in the same conditioning as they would new panels. And you're only allowed so much of a change. Um, a reduction in, in V50s, speeds on rounds will, will actually get through the armor. And all of that goes into address today's rounds, uh, today's threats, the ammo that we know is out there right now. Five years from now, that's going to be a whole new bunch of threats. We're already working with our big suppliers, Honeywell and DuPont, Textech, uh, Bardet, Saudi, all the big manufacturers to come up with the next generation that will address the threats we anticipate. So all that costs money. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it blew me away the first time I came in and saw what it takes to build a single piece of armor. Uh, you've got all these manufacturers coming together. You've got fit audits from the government. You've got OSHA on the floor. You've got ISO on the floor. You've got all these different builds that you're required to do, which is great because it guarantees that every single item that comes off the floor will do exactly what we say it will do. So from my old law enforcement life, I love the, you know, the oversight that's on the manufacturers, you know, cause my, my son just started the Academy. He's going to be going out in the field shortly. And uh, I want him to have the best stuff. And I want to know that it will do the job. Should he be called upon? Now, so. I think a lot of people don't know that, there are police departments, many police departments in the country who can't afford to buy body armor for their officers, right? And, and when I tell people that, they're just, they're amazed, but it, but it's true. Yeah. It is very true. And, and it, it's one of those things, you know, I started my career in 1980 and my mom bought me my first piece of body armor when she knew I was going to go out. When I came home and she had it, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, mom, I, I know what these things cost. And, and, you know, she was a nurse and she's like, you're going to wear this every day. <laughs> you know, yes, mom. <laughs> okay. And uh, thank goodness she built that into me. Um, but it's a costing item that literally half of the agencies in the United States don't supply to their officers. They're like, if you want body armor, go get it. It's not mandatory wear. We're not required to give it to you. And um, it, it just is what it is. And these guys go out and I mean, often they're new officers. They've got to buy all this other stuff on top of it. And then you tell them, oh, by the way, you got to buy body armor if you want to wear it. And it's just not there. It's so many guys out there and it's, it's terrible. You know, I'll, I'll go to do a, a 
demo for an agency, half the guys show up without body armor. And I, I'm, I'm still stunned all these years later that it's not the first thing they issue you. And you don't learn to start wearing it the first day in the academy. Right, it's right. Always it be is, on you. Yeah, and it, it, it is just, as you know, you know, beyond uh, beyond important. And it's not just for police officers, right? You mentioned canines a couple minutes ago. Oh, absolutely. Um, you make body armor for dogs, don't you? We sure do. It's called the Bark Nine. It's phenomenal. How many, do we have any canine saves with their body armor yet? Yes, uh, there are canine saves out there. Um, the, the tough part with canines, and, and, and folks don't understand all the time, is while you're training them, they'll heat up. Um, and, and they, for them to get rid of that heat, they need their body to be exposed to the air. Um, so you, it's really hard to train a canine with their armor on. Uh, so the armor is usually not on the, the canine officer. So when that deployment happens in the blink of an eye, there's no time to armor the dog up. Um, where we find most of our saves are when they're getting ready to do a search in a building and they have time to armor the dog up and plan out the search and then go in. Um, it's, it's such a tough balance between keeping the dog functional, alive, and, and, and cool enough while they're super active and keeping them safe with body armor. Right, right. Yeah, it's a tough one. So I know you have, this is a hard question, but when just off the top of your head, when you think about all the police officers you've met, all the saves that you've dealt with, what's one of the most impactful that you, that you can think of off the top of your head that just really gets uh, you? Gosh, I, I've worked with over, over a thousand and they're all incredibly wonderful. They all have their own heroes stories. I, they all deserve all the accolades. I wish we had about 20 episodes for this. Um, I'm going to go on the short list and, and kind of go timely. Uh, we just recently celebrated the anniversary of Jared Reston's save. Uh, yeah. uh, he saved number 1700. Jared is known in the industry throughout. Um, he is a, he won the presidential medal of valor uh, for his actions. The first shot of his gunfight went through his face. Uh, split his jaw to pieces. He got hit in the chest three times, uh, in the hip, in the leg, in the arm, and he still charged the shooter and ended the gunfight. Um, you know, and and came back to work. Uh, went through surgery, over twenty surgeries, and came back onto the front lines and just continued to perform at the highest level. Um, Katie Lawson out in Oklahoma City, again, Presidential Medal of Valor winner. Um, she was getting shot to pieces in her car from a rifle. And when she realized the car wasn't offering her any protection, she popped the door open and charged the shooter. Um, you know, that, that kind of heroism doesn't get talked about that much these days, but it should. Um, Britt Sweeney up in Seattle, Michelle Pratt in Salem, um, um, Luciano Colantuano down in, in, in Palm Springs. Um, I mean, the, the list just continues to drive on. There's so many. You got Buddy Brown that took rifle rounds to his helmet. Um, you know, got hit across his armor. Um, he was probably knocked unconscious momentarily. He got hit through the hips uh, with an AK round. Um, he, he got back up and got back into the gunfight. Uh, Kevin Malone, uh, the, the list just, I honestly, you're going to, you're going to get me off on my soapbox here. I can go on. It's so hard to leave anybody out because they're all incredible stories. We had officers out in the middle of nowhere by themselves uh, taking hits and staying in the fight and finding a way back to their vehicle to call for more officers. Um, and, and we've had 
you know, folks in huge crowds that stepped up and took the hit. Um, it's, it's mind boggling. Ed, where can people go to learn more about the SAVES program and see some of the stories on video of these amazing American police officers? Absolutely. We have a uh, section of our Safariland website dedicated to SAVES on our YouTube channels. The, the SAVES videos are up there. Uh, we are actually in the process. We have this incredible marketing team uh, that is building videos for us so that we can really, I mean, especially in today's atmosphere, we've been demonized a little bit. We, we've been painted as the bad guy and it's so far from the truth. It's scary. Um, so what we want to do is show them unarguable truth. This isn't an opinion. This is anything. This is what happened. You know, and it's a lot of it has body cam video these days, which is great for law enforcement because you can't challenge. You can't say, Oh, he probably did this. Here it is. You know, Michelle Pratt was walking up to a domestic in a vehicle. She was just trying to help. And the guy opened fire and was shooting her to pieces. And, um, you know, she was able to, to move back to cover. She put her own tourniquets on. Uh, she helped the, the initial victim even after being shot. Um, you know, some of the things that went on, uh, people need to see and hear this. You know, these are the folks who are out in the street. You know, these are ones that are leaving their family at home, kissing them goodbye, saying, you know, I'll see you in 8, 10, 12, 16 hours, and, and walking out there to help strangers. Ed Hinchy, thank you so much for spending time with us today. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. This year, over 50,000 law enforcement officers have been assaulted while on duty. A vast number of these attacks were filmed and uploaded to social media in the pursuit of likes and attention. What they want to do is film you instead of like, what can I do to help this officer? Together, we can change this disturbing trend. If that individual would have hit the right spot, you know, it, it could have been it for me. You know, last time I would have saw my wife, my kids. I'm Mike Solon. Law enforcement officers need your support. If you see an officer under attack, then follow these simple steps in order to help. One, call 911 and give the officer's exact location. Two, ask the officer if you can assist. If the officer accepts, then do whatever you can do to safely help. Three, if the officer declines, then start filming and be a good witness. It's time to stop filming and start helping.